just a couple of reminders here. Uh, first of all, you know, great job, everyone, just with wearing those masks. I know it's not ideal and it's uncomfortable, and, but uh, thanks for uh, doing uh, your part to, to love our neighbor, really. That's why we're doing it, right? We want to show care and concern for our neighbor. Uh, also, uh, we're not passing an offering plate in these days of uh, this health crisis, so uh, feel free to, to drop your gift off on the offering plates that are by the doors on your way out, uh, or you can also give online. There's a link right on our website for you to do that. Uh, and then also, if you're visiting with us, either online or in person, uh, there's a, a Connect card online. Just go to our website, Fishkill Baptist Church. Org, and you'll find it there. And we'd love to know about your visit and, and reach out to you and answer any questions you may have about our church. Um, yeah, so that's, that's that. I had, uh, I don't know how many of you were here last week or, or listened online, but this was uh, somewhat uh, fun for me. Uh, I ha- had a neighbor listen to the sermon last week, and he sent me a text message. If you remember, one of my sermon illustrations was of, a, of an old neighbor who would, would play his music really loud, so he sent me a text message and said, you know, uh, listen to your sermon, it was great, uh, and by the way, I'll, I promise never to play my music so loud that you have to ask me to turn it down, so that was nice. Uh, so, and, and let that be a reminder to all of us that, you know, use our online live stream is a tool to invite, you know, neighbors, friends, family uh, to come and and check it out. Uh, Joe had mentioned earlier that, uh, of course, J.I. Packer passed away uh, on Friday, and he's he's with the Lord in glory now, and that's that's really great, and of course, his impact, uh, you know, is is tremendous uh, on, on the theological life of the church in the last century. Uh, I, I was reading something on Saturday, just some reflections. Uh, Sam Alberry, another pastor, was talking about a time when he was a young pastor and he was just kind of getting into the rhythm of preaching every week. And uh, he remembers, you know, one particular sleepless night where he was kind of restless. You know, the passage he was going to be preaching on was was a little challenging, and he had he knew he had some people in the congregation who were particularly astute theologically, and so he was a little nervous. You know, that, that morning he wakes up and you know he just reminds himself you know what, it doesn't matter what the opinion of men, it's, it's the audience of one, I, you know, I'm preaching for God's approval and no one else's, and he gets to church, and J.I. Packer is visiting his church. <laughs> and he's like, all right, it's an audience of one and J.I. Packer now, <laughs> so, but uh, I, I can relate to that. So we're in Jonah, We've, uh, we've come through chapter one, chapter two, we're in chapter three this morning. Let me just give a brief recap of, of uh, where we've come from to this point. Jonah was called by God to bring a message uh, of uh, repentance to the people of Nineveh. The Nineveh being uh, the capital city of Assyria, the enemies of the people of God. Jonah's response, of course, was to run and hide. He's fled the presence of the Lord, uh, tried to get as far away as possible, jumped a ship to Tarshish. God's response was to graciously pursue him and to wake him up uh, using a deadly storm. 
Jonah fell asleep in the, in the boat. God used that deadly storm to wake him up and to bring him to his senses. Jonah then responds by owning up to his sin. He tells the sailors, it's because of me that this deadly storm has come upon you. Toss me overboard. And he trusts himself completely to the justice of God. Chapter one ends with Jonah in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. And last week we looked at Jonah's prayer from within the belly of that great fish. And we took a deep dive look at the grace of God that Jonah experienced in the belly of the fish and that we can all experience today because of Jesus Christ. Uh, And remember that God's grace is being brought into his favor when we have no right to be there and God is not obligated to let us in either. And the grace of God is for anyone who understands the depths of our sin and the heights of God's mercy and grace and calls out to him. Remember uh, Paul's words in Romans 10, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we know that we have the grace of God because uh, there's evidence of of being a gracious people and uh, there's evidence of joy and thanksgiving in our lives. Not that we're perfect. None of us are perfect. But these things are uh, present in our lives and and should be growing. And so those are evidences that that we've in fact encountered the grace of God. At the end of chapter 2, Jonah was vomited out on dry land by this great fish, and that brings us to today. The main idea that I want to get across to you today is this. God uses broken servants to bring revival. God uses broken servants to bring revival. And I'm going to unpack this by looking at three ingredients in God's recipe for revival. And they are uh, broken servants, a faithful message, and genuine belief. Before we jump in, though, I want to offer this disclaimer. I'm not attempting to give an exhaustive list of ingredients here. I'm merely trying to pull out from the text that we're looking at this morning the ingredients that are there. Uh, There are more that we could talk about adding to this list, but it's certainly not less than what we're going to look at today. The other thing I want to say is that I'm not suggesting that revival is woodenly formulaic, okay? Meaning, if if we do this, then this is the result that we should expect every time 100%. It it doesn't work like that. Remember uh, Paul's, uh, not Paul, job, Jesus, thank you, Jesus' words in John 3, the wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And the idea is that uh, while we must cooperate with God in obedience and faithful obedience, God works on his own time and not ours. And so we must be people of prayer as well, praying for the Lord to move in the hearts of people. So having said all this, let's look at Jonah chapter three together. I'm gonna be reading chapter three, from the ESV, and follow along with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So that's a pretty great revival the whole city, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let's look at these three ingredients together. Uh, first, we have broken servants. To this point, Jonah is not the poster child for someone that you would entrust with an important message. He's not going to be a high draft pick in the rookie class of prophets. He's rejected God's calling. He's turned a deaf ear to his word. And he's charted his own course of determined disobedience. Not someone that you want to trust with your important message. And my question for us this morning is, is can God use someone like that? Does God use people like that? And the answer is yes. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't use a single one of us. All right? Maybe you're here this morning or you're listening online and you're thinking that you're just too broken a person to be used by God. Maybe you've uh, experienced a failed marriage or you have kids who aren't walking with the Lord or maybe you're wrestling with addiction. Maybe you're tempted to think, I'm, I'm just damaged goods. God can't use a person like me. Or maybe if he can use me, it's only in maybe a, a B-team sort of way. If this describes you, I want you to look at the track record of some of the people God has used. Abraham was likely an idol worshiper. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Peter was a coward. Paul was a persecutor. Augustine, St. Augustine was a thief and a playboy. John Newton was a slave trader. And yet, remember that three-letter word from last Sunday? Yet, 
They encountered the grace of God and were used mightily by him. I want you to hear this. God uses broken people, failures even, people who are humbled by God's grace and who are willing to accept his call. Let's talk about those two things. First, humility. If you want to be a person that God uses to advance his kingdom in our community, you need to be humble. You need to be humble. Failure can make you humble. And if you're not already humble, experiencing failure can get you there. Now I say can get you there because it doesn't necessarily mean that it will get you there and I'll explain that. Listen, failure can, can turn you in on yourself and make you even more self-absorbed and full of self-pity than before. Failure can do that. Or failure, you can turn that out and thrust it upon the grace of God and be humble. But it's, it's a choice you have to make with that failure. Either you're going to let it turn you in on yourself and eat you up, or you're going to cast it out upon the grace of God and make you a humble servant. A catalyst for revival even. It's up to you what it does to you. It's, it's a gracious thing that God disciplines us, like Jonah, and, and brings us to a point of repentance and recommissions us and puts us back in the game. It's a gracious thing. So if you've experienced failure or hardship, cast that upon the grace of God. Be humbled and accept the call. Let's talk about accepting the call. Verse 2 tells, tells us that Jonah uh, is told to go. He's told to go. God is by nature a calling and ascending God. Think of it like a tornado. He, he, he sucks us in by his grace and propels us outward on mission. And we've been given a mission, a great mission, a co-mission. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, go to all of us, go and make disciples. We have this great mission. However, there's insecurities that, that creep in and our enemy would like nothing more than to throw them into our faces and discourage us and keep us on the sidelines. So I want you to hear this. God's call is not just for the elite. It's not just for J.I. Packer. It's, just, it's not just for Ravi Zacharias or for people with lots of time on their hands, or for people with lots of money, or for people without money for that matter, or, or for introverts or extroverts. It's not just for people with theological education or for religious professionals. The mission is for anyone who can say, I belong to God. And because he's ascending God, I will go. That's who the mission is for. Just look at the perfect ministry model we have in Jesus, the ultimate missionary. He left the perfect comfort and safety of heaven to bring the grace of God to anyone who would receive it. Being on mission isn't always comfortable. Jonah is on his way to the equivalent of Red Square at the height of the Cold War to pronounce judgment on his, on his enemies. Not comfortable. What's that commercial? Want to get away? Remember that? 
We live in a culture that worships comfort. So we must always be aware of this and be willing to work against it. It's good to ask ourselves, where are we willing to embrace discomfort for the sake of the mission? Is it financially? Is it relationally? Is it uh, risking a, a reputation or possible embarrassment? Is it giving up some me time? I think that's a big one for a lot of us, myself included. Are we willing to sacrifice some me time for the mission? Where are you embracing discomfort for the sake of the mission? That's our first ingredient. Broken people, humbled by God, and willing to accept the call. So our second ingredient this morning is is a faithful message. Jonah's message was simple. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's only five words in the Hebrew. Nicholas, we can fact check that our Hebrew scholar. Uh, It wasn't lengthy. It wasn't necessarily intellectual. It may not have even been eloquent. But none of that mattered because it was God's message. And there is power in God's message. It's essential that we master this message. And I believe that there's two errors that we need to work against when we're thinking about the message. First, we must not abandon the message. We must not abandon the message. There's this idea that has crept into the the church in in America uh, that all you need to do is love people. That's all you need. Just love people and and just wait and and see what happens. Uh, if, If I share the gospel too soon with them, you know, maybe it'll turn them off. And you need to use discernment. I'm not saying we don't need to do that, right, with when we talk with people about the Lord. But if I do it too soon, you know, it might just turn them off. And, you know, but let me tell you my experience. My experience is that uh, typically you end up loving and loving and waiting and waiting and you never end up sharing the gospel. And then it gets to a point where uh, it's, it's gone on long enough that to bring it up now is kind of awkward, Right? Now, I'm not advocating for a false dichotomy here. We must love people. We must love people, but we also must not abandon the message. We need to be intentional and seek opportunities to share the gospel with others. No one has ever been purely loved into the kingdom without hearing the message of the gospel. Remember Paul's words in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. So that's our first error. Let's not abandon the message. The second error is this. Let's not alter the message. Some feel like sin, judgment, wrath, those are just too harsh for modern people. And as a result, many churches rarely speak of these things, wrath or hell. It just sounds too judgy. Let's just, you know, let's let's not go there. So they, they soften it. And again, I'm not advocating for a false dichotomy. Uh, We we should talk about these hard things, but we should also uh, talk about the good news because after all, the gospel is good news. But in order for the gospel to be good news, there must first be some bad news. 
How will people know that they need to be saved if they don't know the trouble they're in? So in our cultural climate, let's steer clear of these two errors, abandoning the message and altering the message, okay? The message Jonah was given uh, was simple. So was the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul provides a summary for us. It's simple. Jesus died for sins and was buried. He rose again and appeared to many. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. That's it. And Paul says this simple message is the power of God for salvation. Do you believe this, church? Can you lovingly share this? Will you lovingly share this? Maybe you're thinking right now that this all sounds great uh, and I'm all for that. We should be sharing it. But uh, that's for other people. That's for people with that gift, okay? That's not my gift, so I'm gonna do this and to, to the uh, neglect of, of this here. And I think that one of the reasons this is, is, is the popularity of spiritual gift tests. Nothing wrong with them, but one of the unintended consequences is that you're told that uh, your gift is not evangelism and therefore you determine that you're off the hook for doing it at all. But remember God's purpose for giving evangelists to the church, people with the gift of evangelism. In Ephesians 4.11, he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God didn't give evangelists to the church so they could do all the work of evangelism for the church. He gave them to equip the saints. That's all of us for the work of ministry. And so I think it's better to think of evangelism as not just a gift, but also as a spiritual discipline. Because my experience with evangelism, I don't necessarily think that my gift is evangelism, but I do it. And the more I do it, the deeper my faith grows and my relationship with God gets richer. I, I genuinely think that, that evangelism, sharing your faith is a, is a spiritual discipline that perhaps we're neglecting and we're missing out. This doesn't mean that we all have to have the same style, right? You're not going to share your faith like me uh, or like Phil Todd or like anyone. Fill in the blank, right? Uh, you're you. Be you. Master the message and share it in, in the way that God has, has equipped you. And the great thing is that no one's going to be able to share the gospel like you can. It may be different than uh, other people, but as long as you're not altering the message or... or uh, or abandoning the message, go for it. And we can all work on this together and get better over time. And remember this, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And you get better as you do it. And God is with you in that endeavor. Consider some of these examples. Moses says to God, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech and tongue. You can't use me. Jeremiah, when he was called by God, he told God, I don't know how to speak. 
I don't know how to speak. Paul reminds the Corinthians when he came to them, he came not with lofty speech and, or wisdom, but in fear and trembling, and he decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I read this last week, just in my devotional time, but Acts 4, the religious leaders who had Peter and John imprisoned determined that these are uneducated common men. Any uneducated common men out there? You can do it. God can do it through you. Jonathan Edwards. Some have described his preaching style as dry and boring, but God used him as a catalyst for the first great awakening. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Anyone hear of that guy? One of the greatest preachers and evangelists to ever live. As a boy, he attended this unimpressive Methodist chapel where on one particular Sunday, the pulpit was filled by a man with no education. He could barely read or write. His sermon was not polished. He exhausted everything he had to say in about 10 minutes, but he got the gospel right. He got the message of God right. And it was on that Sunday after that service that Charles Spurgeon encountered the grace of God and was converted. God can use you. God can use me. God can use us. God explains in, in his first letter to the Corinthians that God uses broken, humble people so that they won't be tempted to boast in their own ability, but in the power of God. I want to tell you this morning that God wants people to boast in his power at work in you. You just got to be humble and respond to the call, answer the call. Here are these lines from our new church vision statement. We will become a discipling church that cultivates a strong evangelistic impulse by developing leaders who equip the congregation to be a witness in the community and to the ends of the earth. What if this church were to be characterized as being a people on message with this simple but powerful gospel message? What if we were all equipped to do that and we were intentional in seeking opportunities to love people, to pray for people, but to share the gospel with people? I mean, imagine. Imagine, what if every one of us were to reach just one person next year? Our congregation would double. Just saying. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, I've been on the sidelines long enough. I want to get in the game. I've got good news for you. I, I am passionate about equipping. I'm an equipper. And I want to let you know, I've, I've been teaching an evangelism class since the winter. We're taking a break now for the summer. We're going to resume in the fall and, and hopefully wrap things up in the fall. But all of those uh, sessions have been recorded and they're on YouTube. So if, if you're here, maybe you've missed a couple class sessions or you got off track or maybe you haven't seen any of them, let me know. I'll send you a link and you can do some binge watching on YouTube over the summer and be ready to hit the ground running in the fall. And, and let's train together. Let's get better together. At, at sharing the gospel with our community, right? So reach out to me and I'll get you that link. So the, here's our two ingredients so far. Broken people, humbled, 
by grace and willing to answer the call. And our second one, faithful proclamation of the gospel message. Our third ingredient, genuine belief. Look at verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God from the greatest of them to the least. I love the imagery of the king in verse 6. And this is just an example here of the greatest of them. The king, the king of Nineveh. He gets off his throne. He removes his royal robe. He puts on sackcloth and sits down in ashes. He moves from the throne to ashes. And what I love about this is that it's a picture of what belief looks like in our hearts. The heart is the seat of the will and desire. And upon every human heart, there's a throne. And whoever sits on that throne is is sovereign over that heart. And this is the human condition. We've dethroned God from the throne of our hearts. We've made ourselves kings of our hearts. The gospel message calls us to acknowledge the depths of our sin and get off the throne of your heart. And to acknowledge the heights of God's mercy and grace and to cast yourself on that. Sit in the ashes. That's what the gospel calls us to do. Genuine belief is accompanied by action. The text tells us that the people of Nineveh turned from their evil. And this was evidence that their belief was genuine. In the 19th century, there was a European acrobat who went by the stage name Charles Blondin. He came over to the U.S. and he became famous for walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he would do various stunts. One time he stopped in the middle to eat an omelet on the tightrope. Another time he pushed a wheelbarrow across on the tightrope. You know, on more than one occasion, he actually carried his manager on his back and took him over Niagara Falls on the tightrope. And it's, and it's been said that on one occasion, he reached the other side, and he, looked, he turned to a man in the, in the crowd, and he said, do you believe that I could carry you across? And the man responds, of course I do. I just saw you do it. Well, he says, okay, jump on. I'll carry you over. He says, not on your life. <laughs> not on your life. Genuine belief will be accompanied by action. We must turn from evil and we must trust Jesus to carry us across to eternity. There's no other way. Lip service is not enough. It must be accompanied by action. Let me give you one last example today. Before the Welsh revival in the early 1900s, there was a a major... uh, labor union problem with the miners, those who worked in the mines. And these miners were uh, just helping themselves to the tools. They would steal them and take them home for themselves. And then God moved throughout Wales and the grace of God came to people 
And this is what happened. They had to build five new tool sheds at most of the mines. Where there were previously, there was typically only one tool shed at every mine. They had to build five new tool sheds because people who were transformed by the grace of God were convicted in bringing all the tools that they've been stealing back to the mines. They, they needed to build new sheds to hold all these tools. And that's just one example of how people transformed by the grace of God can change a society. And I don't know if we have any problems in our society. <laughs> we might be able to think of a few. But what might the grace of God be able to do in our community? What might the grace of God be able to do in our world? What might God do through people who respond with genuine belief in the faithful gospel message proclaimed by broken and humble servants? These are the three ingredients we see in God's recipe for revival here in chapter three. Are you a broken Christian this morning? Are you a broken Christian being kept on the sidelines because of some insecurity or fear? Turn your fears outward and thrust them upon the grace of God. Be humbled and answer the call. Get in the game. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Ninevite and you need to get off the throne of your heart and trust the life death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to be welcomed in to the family of God. Turn from evil and trust Jesus to carry you to eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that none of us are ever too far gone to be used by you. Use us, Lord. Use Fishkill Baptist Church as a broken people of grace in the lives of other broken people who need your grace. May we strive to be humble servants who answer your call and go and make disciples in the power of the gospel. Amen.